Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch podcast. I'm Matt. I talk. And with me are two other people who talk. Uh, first up, Liz Harper, editor-in-chief of the site. Uh, hi, Liz. Howdy. As you can see, talks. Can't beat it. Uh, also, another person who talks, Joe Perez. Hello. Did you know a pea is neither a pea nor a nut? A peanut is neither a pea nor a nut? Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Pea, Words are hard. A, a pea is a pea. <laughs> That's true. A pea is a pea. But anyway, yes, he, he is correct. It's been a peanuts long week. Peanuts are neither peas nor not. Um, it's it's Tuesday, Joe. You know it's Tuesday. Don't. Yeah, that doesn't contradict his statement. Doesn't doesn't <laughs> contradict it at all. Anyway, so yeah, we we are here doing the Blizzard Watch thing, talking about Blizzard Entertainment, its many games and its foibles lately. Um, we're gonna still end up talking about some foibles today. Sorry, guys, but we're gonna try and actually talk about games first. Um. Diablo 2 Resurrected, the beta, is August 13th. The uh, I believe it's the early access beta. Is this August yeah. 13th? And, uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to it because Diablo 2 Resurrected, when I got to play it before, was really good, and so I'm hoping to get to play more really good Diablo, um, and, and that will be nice. The The pre-order thing is up right now. You Basically, if you pre-order the game, you've got a better chance to get into the open beta early. Um, think, do you have a post think- on the site about it? Yeah, I think 100% if you if you pre-order yeah. you get into the early beta. Yeah, that's so what they're saying on the website. So there you go, 100% chance if you if you just want to get into that beta, uh pre-order the game. Um like I said, it, when I played it, one of the things I noticed is that they are this is very much them trying to do right by the original game. Uh they are very little has changed. Uh graphics are of course much better. But the gameplay is more or less the same. They've made a few changes for console because you'll be using a controller instead of a mouse. But those those changes are minimal. And they put in the stash from Diablo 3 because, let's face it, people just created their own stashes by creating a ton of alts they never played. And yeah. they're just skipping that. They're like, nope, you just have a stash. It's fine. So that's basically the only significant change I can think of is, is the stash. Everything else is like... No, pretty much the original game. The one thing we did talk about in staff chat, and I think um, Liz pointed this out, the uh, Liz P, uh, that you're, they're not going to be supporting TCP/IP direct connections, which uh, is a thing that I think some people may be upset about. But it, it's what used to allow folks to directly connect to somebody else's computer without having to go over an internet service provider to a third-party server or centralized server location so that you yeah, can create but- private games and host them. But technology has moved to the point where that's generally not a good idea anymore. It's not exactly secure, and servers are good now, so they yeah. don't need to have that anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, TC- TCP IP, that was when you couldn't do stuff over the internet. And well, it's when it most people were on dial-up. Yeah. It was yeah. When, so... That that's it was the proto proto server hosting back in the day. So yeah, I, I I get that that'd be an issue for some people who really just want the absolutely old school experience. But you can still play the original Diablo two if that's really what you want. You don't have to play the remaster uh, if you want to just do games like that. You you still can. So yeah, I get it. But really, it, doing that in twenty twenty one would be like if you were like if if Ford had to come out with a with a you know servicing guide to Edsel's. <laughs> uh, you know, we don't we don't do that anymore. That's, that's a that's, deep cut. But yeah, no yeah. you're right. You're absolutely right. But yeah, so I I'm excited. You guys excited? Very much so, considering that was, Diablo 2 was the game that I 
uh, physically burned through CDs because my I played them so much and you needed to have the CD installed around the game back then uh, to the point where I bought the game I think four times when it was when it was out and killed uh, I want to say six of the Logitech like gaming mice the first Logitech gaming mice I think it was like the MX 100 or something like that from back in the day uh, yes yeah, I'm excited yeah. I spent a lot of time in that game world uh, I'm really excited to be going back to playing an Amazon because I thought that was a really interesting gameplay style. And like you could play an Am- in Diablo 2, you could play an Amazon with a bow or with a javelin. So you could like, instead of using a bow, like you use with demon hunters in D3 or with rogues in, Di- in Diablo 1, you could have a javelin and you just go around with like kind of this spear-like thing and you'd you could get into melee and just be stab, 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 which was kind of satisfying, but you could also go at range and throw your javelins, like ammo. Uh, And I just thought that was interesting and fun to be able to go back and forth from melee to range and be kind of different depending on where you specialized. And uh, yeah, we don't really have that anymore. Yeah, I I miss some of those weird builds that you used to be able to do in Diablo 2 as well. Um, I remember we, we talked about this, I think, at one point in the podcast way back when, but like I'm really excited to get to play a druid again in that format. Not that I'm not excited for like playing a druid in Diablo 4, but I have very fond memories of summoner builds. I have very fond memories of like werebear builds that I would absolutely love to play again because it was just unique for action RPG at the time. Uh, I mean, it was basically the granddaddy of action RPG, really. But I just want to I want to experience that again. I really do. Yeah, I, I do think that it's interesting to play this game now because design has gotten very different mm-hmm. and not always for the worse. I think some games do things that Diablo 2 did better than Diablo 2 did them. Um, Torchlight, for example, uh, does a lot of things Diablo did. Diablo 2 did, but it does them in a less punishing, grueling way. But I think I've compared it once to the Beatles. Like whatever you feel about the action RPG field. Like there were there were action RPGs before Diablo, and then there were ones after Diablo. The ones after Diablo are all like Diablo. Like it doesn't matter how they differentiate themselves, and they all do differentiate themselves. The stamp of Diablo was placed over the genre. Before Diablo came out, action RPG could mean the the Philips CD link games. Oh God, you had to bring that up, didn't you? Yes, I did, just to hurt you. We're Um, gonna bomb some badangos. Yeah, not not good games. Go look them up sometime. But but seriously, the the field was just anything that you could you could call anything action RPG as long as it was an RPG that had some action elements in it. After Diablo, it was like it, you basically would just say like Diablo, and people would be like, oh okay. Yeah, it really cemented and, like the isometric view. It really cemented a lot of the the skill tree building, a lot of the the action elements with how you attack and interface with spells, uh, the looting system. And like even modern day, like you're pointed out, like it does have that stamp over the genre. There's games that have released within the last couple of years that are still pretty much Diablo with Diablo two with a different skin. Like, yeah, like Path of Exile, Chaos Bane, uh, Chaos Bane, absolutely Chaos Bane. Um, the the one that they put out for Darksiders. Yeah, which was a fantastic game, by the way. Oh yeah, it was very good. But it was Darksider Diablo. So at this point, though, I do want to move on to something else because. One of the reasons that we're so glad Liz is here is because Liz plays Hearthstone regularly. <laughs> and Joe and I don't. And that means every time someone asks a Hearthstone question, we kind of stare at each other for a while and go, mm. <laughs> So right now, 
I'm going to be getting some some liquid to refresh myself, and Liz is going to be talking about Hearthstone, and, and we just give her free reign here. Liz, talk about whatever you want. <laughs> well, kind of the new thing in Hearthstone, we had a new expansion last week, uh, United and Stormwind, which I think has been really cool and fun. It has lots of really weird cards. We did an article recently um, that talked about some of the just bizarre cards in United and Stormwind, and one of them, like there's a card there's a rogue card that you put it in your deck, and when you play the game, it makes it look like you aren't a rogue. Your opponent can't tell what that you're a rogue. Your opponent thinks you're playing something else until you play a rogue card. And then it's like, oh, you're a rogue. And that's just so in character, but so just strange and bizarre in a card game. Uh, but kind of the, the big issue, the big controversy, I guess you'd say, in Hearthstone right now is questline cards. The expansion added quest lines, which are like a quest. You play it, and then you have to do certain things to complete it. But a quest line is you do a few things, and you complete this stage of the quest. And then you do a few more things, and you complete that stage of the quest. And then you do a few more things, and you complete this stage of the quest. And the rewards for each of these little quests get bigger and better. And the end reward can be something like, hey, this has totally won the game for you. That's it. I hope you had fun. And it has been, some of these have had a really interesting, not great effect on the game because they encourage a real uh, OTK playstyle, one turn kill, where you can just not even engage with your opponent. You just focus on finishing your quest. And then when you finish your quest, it's like, okay, I press the I win button and I do 36 damage in a single round without setting up anything on the board or playing any combo. It's just, I've completed my quest. Now I'm going to... Yeah, Heroes in Hearthstone only have 30 health. So you can do over 30 damage in a single round by completing your quest. And sometimes you can finish these quests pretty early. Not all of the quest lines are like this. Um, what was it? I know Warlock's really bad right now. The Mage, Warlock, and Demon Hunter are all pretty rough in that they can be like... They're really killer if you finish them, and especially if you finish them early. And your opponent just has no chance to respond to this stuff because you're just you're just hitting that I win button when you finish the quest. And it makes a game that's not very interactive. Your opponent is never really engaging with you because they don't have to. They can just focus on doing their quest. And uh, so you the, can't stop them necessarily. Yeah, I wanted to ask. So basically, you'd be playing the game against someone, and mm -hmm. they're doing things that don't make sense, that they don't have anything to do with what you're doing, and then all of a sudden, they just push a button and kill you. Basically, you can you can see that they've played a quest. Like, you have to play, there's like a card that you play to start the quest. So they can see that you've played a quest, and they can see the requirements for the quest. Uh, but it's like, you can't do anything to get rid of a quest once it's played. and there's not really a lot you can do to stop your opponent from completing it. So you have to try and basically kill them before they kill you. Like you have to try. Yeah, to you're game. really, you're really trying to just let's kill them as fast as possible and hope we can kill them before they kill us. Like the um, the priest quest line. The priest quest line as it ha actually hasn't been getting a ton of play. Um, I think because it takes a long time to complete, it requires you to play a lot of minions of specific costs. So you literally can't finish it until turn 10. Um, but the, the final reward for the priest quest line is 
a card you can play and the effect of the card is destroy the enemy hero. <laughs> That's it. That's the effect. Um, and the Warlock quest, which has been doing really, really well in the meta, is like uh, you do damage to yourself. Warlock and Hearthstone is big on doing damage itself. They have kind of a life tap thing and a lot of their cards will do damage to them. So it's like each step of the quest is you take some damage and when you take this amount of damage, you deal damage to the enemy hero and you heal yourself. And it's just each step is like, take this much damage, then you, as a reward, you deal this much damage to the enemy hero and you heal yourself by this much. And then it's like, take more damage, deal more damage to the, hero, to the enemy hero, take more damage. And um, the final step of the quest gives you a card that for the rest of the game, damage you take damages your opponent. So you just wait until you get to that card. And like all along, you are, um, you're doing damage to yourself, but you're also, the quest also gives you stuff to heal yourself. So you're not, you're not doing too bad. And then you get to like, and you can do this on like turn five. You get this card down and it says any damage you do to yourself also damages the enemy hero. And you just slam down all of this self-damage stuff, which would usually be bad to play in large quantities. And it's just like, bang, enemy dead. And it's like, there's nothing, you can't do much to, about that. You can't stop your opponent from playing cards that damage themselves. And Warlock has a hero power that damages themselves. So they can just zoom through this quest and wipe you out really fast. And you don't have many alternatives except to kill them faster than they kill you. And when you can complete a quest by turn five or six, that's, you don't have a lot of time to even respond. So a few of these quest chains have been a real difficult hurdle. And we think Hearthstone, the dev team, is going to do something about this because it's made the kind of the meta really weird that you like, you jump into a game and it's like, oh, I don't even know why I'm playing this game. Uh, some people have called it solitaire because... You play your quest, and then you ignore your opponent, and you just do your quest. That doesn't really sound like good emerging, like, uh, engaging no. gameplay, I mean, I like, at all. I think that's the problem, is they've quest lines, when they were rolling that, sounded really neat. It's like, oh, you have this little thing that you kind of do on the side as you play, except it's become a thing that has replaced playing. You do the quest line, and you skip all the stuff where you play with your opponent. And uh, Phil wrote about this earlier today, and one of the things he pointed out is that Hearthstone doesn't have uh, an ability for counterplay like you would do in Magic or uh, Runeterra. Yeah, it's also very limited in its deck size, too, which also lends it to a certain, like, direction, right? Uh, yeah, but it's like, you cannot take any actions on your enemy's turn. Mm -hmm. So, like, magic, you can do things like counter, you can do re responses. When your opponent does something, you can do something in response, like, immediately with specific kinds of cards, right? Yeah, yeah, so, like, as somebody who's just recently gotten back into magic, that's accurate. Like, you have, uh, basically, instants and, and counters and, and things like that you can play and interact with on your uh, opponent's turn, which I always thought was interesting that Hearthstone never had anything like that. Um, Hearthstone does have one thing kind of like that. It has secrets. You can play a secret and uh, something will later trigger that secret. Like if your opponent does a certain thing, 
then the secret will come into effect. But it's not like the me, same, just, though. You, you, like, yeah, it's not the same. It's not active. You have to predict. Like me, just have a counter spell secret, and you can put it down, and it sits on the board. Your opponent doesn't know what it is, but when they play a spell, it counters the spell. Right, but, but you, you don't it, have you have any no control, control over what spell gets yeah. countered. Yeah. Yep. But I also think that was part uh, of the original design philosophy for for Hearthstone. not to not yeah. to stick on Hearthstone too much though. But I remember that being like one of the the talking points about it was that yes, these are smaller decks. There, it's quicker gameplay. It's bounce in, bounce out. And this is before they started doing all these grand adventures and uh, quests mm-hmm. and all these other things. And it seems like almost like from the beginning, some of that is is maybe making some of the later things that they tried to do a little more difficult to pull off. I think if the quest reward card wasn't like basically death to your enemy, yeah, it would be fine because people would still have to like pay attention to what their opponent was doing. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but since you know, if I just finish this quest, I will get the ability to like turn my opponent into a frog forever, um, or what have you. I I don't know the the things, but I you know you get what I'm saying. <laughs> Because yeah. the, the reward is like literally, as you pointed out, like one, it's like one turn kill. It's like one shot kill. Once I get this, you're done. I think that if you're going to leave it where you don't have the ability to do anything about it, I think it would be kind of interesting if there was an there was a, a card that could like be used as a cooldown, like in a World of Warcraft, where like so you're going to take a ton of damage. You you would have the card in your deck, and it would automatically like play when you're about to get destroyed by something. Like if if this will take you below your you know if this will kill you this card plays and you only take half damage like shield wall or something yeah that, I mean you can kind of you can kind of do that with secrets but you have to play them in advance and you yeah, don't have control I, I mean literally just uh, yeah. just a card in your in your hand that that would do it that kind of thing either have that kind of thing or don't don't have a card that just insta kills people uh, I think that that's if they make a change that should be the kind of change they make these things should be important and powerful but they shouldn't just wipe you out because then it's like, yeah. you know, you're not playing me. You're playing the quest. Uh, you should still have to play me. You should have to like beat me, not just beat the quest and then use the quest reward to destroy me. Um, one possibility could be to make them more defensive. Like imagine if you, is- you know, got a, if you got up one of those things that just made you invulnerable to all damage for a round or something. Like the but- thing is it's, the, the quests that are the quest lines that are getting played a lot are only the quest lines that are like, I'm gonna instantly destroy my opponent. And the quest lines that are more balanced and not insta kills and just give you interesting uh, interesting abilities or useful tools to do different things or buff you up. If the, those aren't getting played, people are just ignoring the ones that aren't like super overpowered. So like where's the balance between having something fun and engaging and interesting to add to your gameplay and having something that's just so powerful it obliterates anything your opponent could do and that's just a problem with like tcgs in general right like yeah that that's something that's always existed i mean like and i've heard people talk fondly about like the old days of magic the gathering but a lot of people forget that there was a turn to kill uh, like from the very beginning from since the alpha of that game. Right. So like, that's always kind of a weird thing with TCGs in general is where's the balance point. And for some it's deck size for some, it's the ability to interrupt things. Um, there's ones that are trying to do like a uh, whole new gameplay. Um, Keyforge is another one that like just recently 
uh, came out like a couple years ago at this point, might've been longer. I don't know. Time is weird. Um, but it tries to do sort of that engaging gameplay where you still have a goal and your opponent's whole purpose is to stop you from accomplishing that goal while they go for the same goal, which is forging keys. Uh, and so like you interact in ways that are like interrupts or creature disruption or, uh, stealing their ember or things like that, but it feels way, way more interactive. And the way that they balance it is instead of, uh, you getting to build a deck, all of the decks are pre-conned and they don't change and they have like, that's how they found their balance point. So you buy a $10 deck and that's it. It's yours. It's registered to you. And that's what it is. But it has, you still have that interactive gameplay between people and they try to keep it balanced out with another thing called uh, chains, which is uh, limiting your draw or hand size based off of how powerful your deck or abilities are. So give your opponent a chance to catch up without completely getting obliterated. And it's one of the few TCGs that I've played that really tries very, very hard to find that balance point. And I don't know how you do that in Hearthstone. Like Hearthstone always felt like that quick mobile uh, TCG. And this is not a, not a shot. Like if people love Hearthstone, like I'm, I'm all for it. This is just an observation where it was built around that idea of quick play. And unfortunately, part of the idea of quick play is giving those combos that are possible with cards in smaller decks. So you draw them more frequently that just instant kill or do a ton of damage or put you in an overwhelming position. So like that was always one of my criticisms of it uh, just as a thing. And I don't know. I don't know how you fix that. I don't know what the right way to do that is really always felt from the beginning that Hearthstone needed some kind of reaction system where you can respond to your opponent's actions. And I mean, you're right, that's it wasn't designed that way. And they added these secrets that you can play as reactions, but not every class even has any secrets. Only certain classes have access to secrets. And so it's, it's, it's weird. It gives you, it really limits the ways you can counter your opponent. I mean, I enjoy Hearthstone a lot, but you know, the current meta, it's it's weird. If you meet someone playing one of these quest lines, it's just not super fun to play. And uh, hopefully we'll figure this out. Hopefully they're going to change up the balance or do something to where it's not just one turn kill every time. Okay. I think we've probably discussed Hearthstone to the point where I need to make us talk about something else, unfortunately. <laughs> which means I have to be more engaged. But um, one of the posts we did fairly recently, it was last week, but it was near the end of last week. Uh, Burning Crusade Classic is apparently on their PTR taking the spit emote and toning it down. Uh, they're not taking it out of the game entirely, but you can only like slash spit at NPCs or just at nothing. Um, you can still use a macro that basically uses slash spit to say someone spits on, on someone else. You can still do that. Uh, I'm kind of hoping they, they deal with that. But for right now, you're not allowed to spit on other players. And I think, I mean, I, I, I wrote the article and the thing I wrote was good because it's gross to spit on people. Um, just straight up, ugh, not good. But I thought we might get a more nuanced response from the other two people here. Uh, so I'm going to start with Liz. Liz, what do you feel about this? Should this be just in Burning Crusade Classic? Should it be everywhere? What, what should happen with this? I mean, why, what good is there to be able to spit on other people? And I mean, there are... There are lots of ways that players are, you know, toxic to other players. And it's like, we don't need to build in tools that make it easier to just 
acts like a jerk to another player. There's no good reason to spit on another player. So why is this in any of the versions of the game at all? We don't need this. Dang, I was hoping that would go longer. Uh, <laughs> Joe. So this is one of those things where I think there's a whole series of emotes that never should have been in the game to begin with, but it was a holdover from them trying to add more RP aspects into it and whatever the case was. But like, there's like, I don't know, tons of emotes that I, I think even when they were implemented could have just been done without like slash rude. There's a lot of slash rude emotes that I think had to be changed years ago. Um, and still some that probably should be called, uh, because they're really bad gestures still. Um, and slash bit probably should just be yanked. Who cares? Like it's, it's such a, a, it's not important to the game. It's not an important thing to have around. Just, just get rid of it. It's, I'm glad they're doing something about it because I mean, logging into a game and just having, I don't know, hypothetically speaking, 60 ghouls sitting around slash spinning at you because you said something mean about somebody who controls their reins. Not exactly a great experience. Um, yeah, no, just get rid of it. Just be done. Yeah. I mean, I understand in some cases people, will, people will always come up with the edge case where it's justified. Uh, and I've even had experiences in the game. Like I remember going back to like original, original vanilla world of Warcraft. Uh, if you've ever done the hunter quest chain for lock and rock, it is hard. It was really hard back in the day because a lot of times people were playing the game on computers that today we wouldn't even use to like heat things up. I mean, I remember I was playing on a, like a Dell Inspiron uh, and my wife was playing on the first generation of iMac. Oh, the quest for Rock Delar was awful. Yeah. So we were doing that quest and you get to the part in Silithus and a horde guild was just there. And because they thought it was funny, they would attack the quest NPC and thus cause my wife to fail the game. Yeah. And I, I she, they did this like 20 times. Yeah. And then you had to wait and for I, the respawn. I got, yeah, you had to wait and they wouldn't go away. I got really mad uh, and I, I probably did slash spit at them. Uh, the, going back now again, like 16 years, I probably did. I, I, I'm positive. I did slash root or something. I, I know I gestured at them. Um, and part of that was to get them to flag for PVP because my guild was coming. Uh, but, but at the same time, yeah, I, I get that that impulse is there, but it, it does more harm than good at this point. It's, it's gotten to the point where it's just used in like massive targeted harassment campaigns, people slash spitting on other people just because they bought a store mount or something. There's ideological like crusades about this. It just, it has outlived its usefulness if it ever had usefulness. Um, and I, I, again, while I accept that there are times where people will reach for it, I, I don't think it's worth having. That is my take on it. Plus, it's just gross. It is just gross to think about somebody spitting on you. It's ugh. I mean, I do not want to have that thought in my head. Quick aside, I remembered back in the days of Vanilla, like emotes were a mistake from the very beginning. Let me just go ahead and say there was a thing where you could macro all of the emotes into uh, the rogue's sinister strike and crash your world server. Like, I remember that because people would do that back in the day. Emotes were a mistake. Uh, but yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Liz, do you have anything else that you want to add? The gaming community has grown increasingly toxic over the years. And part of that is because we have all of these easy communication tools and it's just easier to be a jerk or to express an opinion 
without any fear of consequence. And we have these very toxic elements in the community. We don't need any extra tools that make it easier to just be mean to other players. And I mean, this is a tiny thing on the scale of bad things. This is a tiny thing, but it's like, it doesn't add anything to the gameplay. We don't need it. We don't need it. Okay. I think we're all pretty much in agreement. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someday we'll, we'll actually talk about my theory on how a lot of toxicity in the World of Warcraft community is a backlash to the fact that the World of Warcraft community has also gotten a lot more diverse Mm. And it started off fairly diverse compared to like what a lot of gaming communities before it were like. And I think that you see that with any community when there's more diversity, there's almost always a backlash of people who who are like, oh, you know, gatekeepy type garbage. But we, we don't have time for that because we're like we're past the halfway mark and we haven't done a single email. Uh, so I kind of want to get some of them in. Unfortunately, uh, we have one more story to talk about. Uh, it was basically the fact that one of the investor groups at Activision Blizzard is not happy with how the Blizzard Activision Blizzard board has been handling the the lawsuit from California's Department of uh, I want to always want to say Fair Employment and Housing, but I can't remember if it's Fair Employment yeah. and Housing or Employment Depart- Fair Department housing. of Employment and Housing (DEH). Oh, okay. But I thought it was Employment and Fair Housing. Maybe, but doesn't. I think it has an F. Fair is in there somewhere. Yeah, but regardless. They're not happy with the lawsuit, and they don't feel like like the Activision board has been handling it per- very well. I tend to agree. Uh, I feel like there's definitely room for improvement there. But, I mean, I'm, I'm still much more interested in what the various employees of Blizzard have to say than a bunch of investors who will make money regardless. Um, Although I would like to point out that the one thing that I thought was really important from that is even they are calling for the board of, of directors to have... Uh, an employee elected representative, which is pretty much unheard of in corporate structure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like that's, that's kind of, and that's, and that's the, the board and the investors calling for that. Like that's, that's not a joke. Like that's a big, important thing. So, but at this point we are going to move on and do some emails and questions because I mean, that's one of the things we do here. And also because it means we'll get to interact with you guys. some. uh, if you have a question for the show, uh, you can email it to us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com and uh, basically say it's for the show. Or you can do that thing where you say, uh, you know, for any show. And then, you know, Joe and I get tense with each other. But either way, we will look at it. Um, if you want to use our Discord, we have two channels on Discord we look at for questions. One is the uh, Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel, which we, we look at first because, quite frankly, the patrons keep the lights on. So we, we'd like to do that for them. Uh, the other question, if you're not a patron, though, we totally understand not everybody can be. We do also have the uh, Q questions channel, which we do look in for questions from time to time. Uh, so usually what happens is Joe reads them. But now that Liz is here, uh, we can have both of them read them. And that way, nobody's throat gets as dried out as it might otherwise. So I'm going to ask Liz to start us off by reading the first question. All right. Longtime WoW players started in 2005 and have recently started playing Final Fantasy XIV. I started in May and have 200 plus hours played and hit max level on two jobs. They have the concept of the main scenario quest line, which all players must play through to experience the story. Experience is adjusted so that if you just did the main quest quest line, main scenario quest, terminology, if you just did the main scenario quest with no side quests, you would hit max level. Do you think that Blizzard could adopt a system to a better format a 
a cohesive story from levels 1 to 50, also from 50 to 60. That way people don't miss out on quests that are potentially important to the storyline. Thanks, Mareblood, Whisperwind, Dentard. Joe? They could, but uh, WoW is a very different game than I think Final Fantasy XIV is in a lot of regards. WoW has always been a game of quest hubs and sort of exploring the area throughout it. Like, you can speed through Final Fantasy XIV's main story quest, and yes, there's a lot of them, and there's a lot of hubs that you get to visit, but I can tell you as somebody who's done this myself, while it's great, I know nothing about the areas that I'm in. Like, once I move to somewhere else or go somewhere else, or uh, I think I'm where I left my bunny bard, she's in a... uh, a quest in the frozen north. I'm waiting to do the next part of my MSQ so I can move on. And it's involves a, an instance at a higher level. Um, but that's the other problem with it is that those MSQs also involve uh, direct things with the roulettes and the dungeons. And not everybody wants to do that. Whereas in WoW, there is that option where if you don't want to do a dungeon, you don't necessarily have to. Now, could they streamline the storytelling experience in some of the older expansions? Probably. But I think that the quest hubs are made specifically to force you to go and explore the areas of world of, of the World of Warcraft in general. And some of the most interesting story bits happen in those side quests with those side NPCs. Um, so could they do it? Yes. Will they do it? I don't know. And I don't know if there's a way that you could do it that doesn't sort of lose the feel of wow questing so complicated way of saying yes but i don't know okay liz I, you have anything to say i kind of wonder if they're sort of doing this in their own way and kind of like how we have a big covenant quest line and how we have this big patch 9-1 quest line that kind of everyone is progressing through and you're all kind of moving through the same story but it's just that's not everything that's not it's not even how you level because you can't get into the covenant story until you're max level. Well, but the it, first time. No, you can't start the covenant stuff. Even if you do threads of fate, you, you still have to do the, the fo- you still, you still yeah. have to do like the go to these different places and help them thing before you can get into the main you, story. You have to level to 60 before you can do the main storyline. So mm-hmm. even if you do that, uh, but not with leveling, but to try and tell a coherent story, they've been doing these coherent storylines, which is maybe a little bit the same thing. I I like it that they have this coherent narrative that we're all playing through. I think it does help the storytelling. Yeah, I mean, if you think back to like the last few expansions, they've all had variations on that, like the Legion Covenants, uh, not Covenants, uh, Order Halls. The Legion story was basically your class had its own campaign through the game. And uh, Battle for Azeroth was much more, you know, Horde and Alliance each had one. So I do think there's there's been some movement towards that sort of quest storytelling, but it definitely isn't the same kind of thing as what they do in Final Fantasy. And that's probably for the best for both games. Uh, quite frankly, you don't necessarily want Final Fantasy to play just like World of Warcraft uh, mm-hmm. and vice versa. You don't want WoW to just suddenly be a Final Fantasy clone. Let let them do their storytelling in their own way. That would be that. But that's all I have to say on that one. So, uh, Joe, if you don't mind reading the next one. Not at all. Uh, This one comes from our good friend Vertigree. Mechanic question for the Blizzard Watch podcast. To the Exalted Watchers, how does the weekly lockout work in the old raid content that is different sized versions? I've just been bamboozled by trying to switch difficulties of Heart of Fear and thought I'd ask the question of yourselves. 
That's actually really good because I think I actually forgot how that works on the older raids. Uh, it's different depending on different types of expansions, quite frankly. Uh, for instance, Heart of Fear is a Mists of Pandaria one. And in the middle of Mists of Pandaria, they changed the way uh, raid difficulty worked on the last raid. They To bump it to the way we see it now, where you have the different raid sizes. Uh, and, and they then change it again for flex raiding. Um, so there's using Mr. Pandaria as an example, Mr. Pandaria was, was all still, uh, LFR normal and heroic. And those were the difficulties. There was no mythic until siege of Orgrimmar and mythic was introduced. Um, they literally changed heroic to mythic, uh, normal became heroic. Uh, there still was LFR difficulty. And then there was like a flex difficulty they put in and those lockouts are all saved. Like you, you can't do them. You, you, you can't just do Heart of Fear and, and then go to the Siege of Orgrimmar and, and try and do Siege of Orgrimmar the same way that the lockouts are differently saved. Um, I'm pretty sure that the, the lockouts in Mists of Pandaria were all exclusive. Like you, I don't think you could do like you can do in Legion. If you do Legion, here's another example for Legion. Um, if you want to go do Tomb of Sargeras in Legion, you can do it LFR, Flex, Normal, I mean Flex, Heroic, and mythic you can do them all because uh, flex became normal uh you can do all of them in one run like you can just change like you can basically just change the difficulty it will make you leave and go back because it starts the whole thing over the lockouts are completely unique uh but you can do all four of them like i've i have done this i've done tuma sargeras in all of them uh i've done uh antorus in all of them that was that's still the case also for uh, Battle for Azeroth raids, but Battle for Azeroth raids are not on the legacy loot system yet. So if you do the Battle for Azeroth loot, loot raids, the, the loot drops the way it would if, if it was still a current raid. So you might get nothing because it's all personal loot. You might get nothing for clearing a, a Battle for Azeroth raid, but you can do it and you can do them up to like LFR, Normal, Heroic, and Mythic all separated. You can do that in Legion and you can do that in Battle for Azeroth. Uh, Going back, Mists of Pandaria was a big transitional one. Uh, Cataclysm, I believe the lockout system in Cataclysm, which was still at the time, it was like, I still think it was 10 and 25. I think Mists of Pandaria was the first one that tried to not do 10 and 25 anymore, but I might be wrong about that. No, I am wrong about this. Um, Wrath, I'm pretty sure Wrath was the last time we had 10, 25, and then normal and heroic. So if you look at, say... Flexible Rage here was introduced in patch 5.4. Okay, so Mists of Pandaria. Uh, so before that you had 10 and 25 man and that's how it worked. And that's how mists worked up until siege of Orgrimmar. Um, and I don't know if they backed it to other stuff. I'm pretty sure they still have normal and heroic for earlier, uh, miss stuff, but going back to wrath, everything depended on the raid. Like for instance, old war and old war has been changed again. Cause they did the, uh, time walking for old war and they, they totally jiggered around with it. So old war is its own special beast where it's completely flexed out and you'd have, you basically just all the 10 and 25 man loot drops. And the, remember the old war didn't have difficulties. It had hard modes on specific fights. Mm-hmm. So the way it used to be is you'd go in on 10 or 25 and then you deliberately make a fight harder by doing something specific, uh, like blow up uh, XT's heart before it got to a certain point. Now he's doesn't have a heart anymore. And now he's much, much harder to kill. Not killing that kind trees of for uh, uh, what's her name? I can't think of her name now. Inar. Inar. Yep. Or, or uh, dooming Hodir and just you know trying to 
to get him down before that, you know, the chest got hit or, um, the three of them, the, the, the three of the guys, the, you could do them in different orders and they get harder depending on which guy you killed first. Mm-hmm. The Iron Council, I want to call them. Iron so there, there were various ways, uh, or you could do like no lights, Yog Saron, where you didn't have the keepers help you at all. Uh, and the one for uh, General Vizak is really, really annoying. But the point being, since there was no difficulty modes in Old War, it worked differently and it works even more differently now because they've changed it for time walking. But uh, the Trial of Crusader had 10 man and 25 man and then it had normal and heroic for both so there was 10 normal 10 heroic 10 heroic and 25 normal dropped the same gear and same level of gear not the same gear but the same eye level and then the 25 heroic so you had three tiers of gear and four different instances you could run and you still can run if you go do trial of crusader right now you can run all four you could run 10 man normal 10 man heroic 25-man normal, and 25-man heroic. You can just keep resetting the dungeon and going back in. Uh, and that's what got preserved for Ice Crown Citadel, and that's the lockouts for Ice Crown Citadel. If you do Ice Crown Citadel, it's 10 normal, 10 heroic, 25-man you know, normal, 25 heroic. And you can do all four in a run. If you switch it while you're in there, there will be problems. And, you, and I believe you can actually get yourself in a situation where you can't go into uh, her, the heroic version if you killed bosses first on normal or vice versa. If you, if you kill bosses on heroic and then switch it to normal, that'll be it. You can't switch back to heroic. Uh, it's very confusing, and it's, it's dungeon by dungeon, unfortunately, raid by raid. So, yeah, the, I just talked for a long time. I'm sorry, but mm-hmm. it, is, it is not simple. And it is not consistent because each expansion did something different with raid sizes. Um, I'll also say that the Warlords of Draenor raids, you can basically do everything I just said for Legion, um, but they are extremely picky. Even now, there's, it's very easy to, to lose on the fights at the hardest difficulty, even though you do more than enough damage to clear them, because if you do them too fast... Yeah, the mechanics still, yeah. mechanic still kills. Yeah, something will bug out. So be be aware of that if you are trying to do multiple, um, say, Hellfire Citadel runs. When you're doing the highest difficulty, it, it, you have to be real careful to actually pay attention to the mechanics and still try to complete them somewhat. Um, Gorefiend, for instance, you can make Gorefiend just, just despawn if you hit him too hard. I have done this to myself. It's quite annoying. Uh, so you kind of have to take it easy and actually pay attention to the mechanics and then then you can just kill him after like you get it to a certain point. If you if you just insta kill him, then they will bug the fight out. That's not related, but there. So I hope that was in some way useful. If you've got anything to add, Liz? I think really the point is that every raid is kind of a special snowflake and there's no standard rule that applies to everything. Which is yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, because they kept changing the way they were doing raiding as the expansions went on. Like for instance, there's no difficulties for more for molten core. You just walk in. There's mm-hmm. one raid. Uh, every vanilla raid, there's just the one raid. You just walk in and do whatever. Uh, and that's also the case. Uh, I think that's the case for Burning Crusade, isn't it? Yep. Uh, I think there's like a ten. There's two ten man raids that just are ten man. There's Karazhan mm-hmm. and Zulaman, and then everything else is twenty five, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And Wrath was the first time they started doing like variable raid sizes. Uh, so it gets more complex as you progress through the expansions. But I think that answers that. Uh, and we've got enough time to do at least one more. So, Liz? Uh, I'm going to skip to the question by 6K because I think 
the other one may take a little time. Okay. Um, uh, so question for the podcast. Now that patch 9.2 isn't coming out until 2023, which, okay, 6K, I think that may be like a slight exaggeration. We'll see, but I think it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Which of the previous expansions would you like for them to bring back in their classic series to help pass the time? Which one do you think still has enough content to help fill the new five-year release schedule? Again, I think that's an exaggeration. We slowed down development, but I don't think we're going that long. Uh, But we did have a long wait between uh, the launch of Shadowlands and 9.1, like a really long wait. So, yeah, what do y'all think would be a good time fill from the past? Cataclysm. Yeah. Really? Cataclysm? Cataclysm had a ton of content. Yeah, it's got the entire different world. I mean, it's got all the, the quests from like one to, to like 60 that, that were redone. Yeah. yeah, redone. And then you can also do, but here's the thing. I'm, when I say Cataclysm, I don't mean tack Cataclysm on to any of the current classic servers. Create its own. Yeah, create Cataclysm servers that are just Cataclysm because it would be annoying if you are the kind of person who likes playing, say, uh, you know, original, what do they call it? A legacy era or whatever they're calling it now for... Uh, I don't know what they're calling it. Just WoW Classic. Uh, I don't. I think, I know. Yeah, I think I think it's just WoW Classic, and then there's Burning Crusade Classic, and there's Sephiroth. Yeah, and so if you, if you were someone who's playing in those, you want to stay in those. You want to like you know because you want the world to be that world, and I don't think anybody would appreciate having Classic come along and and change that world. The whole point of WoW Classic is to have pre Cataclysm WoW back. So don't tack it on to any current servers, make new cataclysm only servers and let people start at level one on those servers and play through the whole thing. And I think people that did that would get a much better game experience out of it because fully half of cataclysm's development was the one to 60 stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's my, that's my vote. There's a lot of content. There's a lot of stuff to do. There's Deathwing, who is super cool. Although I have some problems with him, but you know, big dragon threatening the world. That's that's kind of cool. And you'd get to actually see you'd get to see him doing more stuff because he does a lot of stuff to the world that you don't get to see if you were max level at the time. You know? If you were max level and you went into Cataclysm, you missed half of Cataclysm. Cataclysm also added some really unique fun quests. Okay, I'm not Cataclysm's biggest fan, but I have to admit a lot of the old world stuff. The quest design, Blizzard's quest design, has improved dramatically over the years. The difference between old world questing and cataclysm questing is gigantic. And they took a lot of fun directions with quests. Like you have the quest, uh, the day Deathwing came, that was in Cataclysm, where you're like basically participating in a story that's being told about how these guys fought off Deathwing and were super awesome and it's just exaggerated and ridiculous and fun. So you have things like that that you never saw in vanilla in the original kind of questing thing. And the Rathion uh, introductory quests where he's like, you yeah. know, you're, you're helping the little baby dragon egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's the, um, I, I want to say, I don't remember if Johnny Awesome, I'm pretty sure he was a Cataclysm quest. I he think was. he was also, yeah. yeah. The Johnny Awesome quest line, if you're Horde and you don't play the Johnny Awesome quest line, <laughs> You are depriving yourself of of an amazing not, experience. Not just Johnny Awesome, but that whole thing surrounding it with like 
that was a lot of tongue in cheek, like, you know, adventurer type thing. I mean, including yeah. the uh, drowning death knight, because that was a thing that happened later on. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a lot of cataclysm that I think if players had gotten to see it at the time, they would have been like, Ooh, wow. Um, one thing it did actually too, that I think like in Miss of Pandaria, we got to see garage unravel, but mm-hmm. the stage for that was set in cataclysm and yeah. it was set in the horde leveling experience. Yeah, it really was. And when you like get to see, like there's a, there's a quest in thousand, not thousand needles. Uh, the one on North of that of thousand needles. Oh, bloody heck. Not Desolus, but like the mountain stone talent. Uh, the Stone Talon Mountain quests that you do as Horde really do set up that how Garage has changed the Horde, and it's really something I felt like people would have gotten a lot out of if they'd seen it. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's one of those things where Cataclysm gets a bad rap, but I would love to see people experience it now, looking like with what we know happened afterwards, go back and play it and see if they still feel the same way. The other one that I think would be a good candidate for uh, the classic treatment is I want to say uh, Mr. Pandaria. And I think it was very popular at the time, but I also think, uh, and Red said this in chat and I agree, that it showcased uh, a very conscientious conscientious effort of quest design uh, and storytelling through zones uh, in the game. And I think it started with, you know, they really started getting a feel for that kind of in in, uh, Wrath of the Lich King, but misses arguably where all of that sort of like came to a head. And I think going back and experiencing that without just blowing through it is sort of a a big thing. And yes, you can do that now in the, the leveling experience, but it feels different because everything is shifted talents and moved around and stuff like that. Experiencing it with all of its heavy storytelling, all of the, the remarks about like the Shah and, and learning how things get twisted and, uh, the impact that we have as uh, warring nations and warring and groups of people on other folks that had nothing to do with our fight to begin with. It was a very powerful, very important, I think, expansion that I would love to see get the classic treatment so people could actually like spend some time with it and, you know, go back through those quests and, and again, look at it now uh, with what we know happens after and sort of like see where those threads were kind of starting to come together. Because like you said, like Garrosh becoming unhinged started before that, but there's stuff that happened in Mr. Pandaria that uh, moves forward. Like the Rathian stuff, a lot of stuff with Anduin, um, like the, the ton of stuff with the, the horde in particular outside of Garrosh that now you can go back and look at and have a completely fresh look at. So what about you, Liz? I don't think I have anything to add that hasn't been talked about. Like Cataclysm isn't my favorite expansion, but now hearing Matt talk about it, I think it wasn't my favorite expansion in large part because of the gameplay changes, because that was when they switched over to talent trees as we know them now, where you just pick from three instead of fleshing out a tree in a more kind of traditional RPG style. And I really liked the old way. I still really like the classic talent trees and that idea and how you could customize with them. But they changed gameplay so much in Cataclysm that the game didn't feel familiar to me anymore. And it wasn't... Weren't you playing a paladin? I was playing a paladin, yes. Yeah, every paladin says that. Because they brought power. Oh yeah, Alex used to complain continuously about Cataclysm. Uh, They brought in holy power. They made it... Like I remember he used to say, what am I playing a rogue now? I got complicated all of a sudden. And yeah, I think that that is something like 
that's a real example of how specific changes to a class can really affect that class and make it feel different. I mean, it was also, I think, when 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 they'd gotten rid of armor penetration in the previous expansion, and as a result, they had Colossus Smash, which kind of came in and replaced it for Warriors, and that changed Warriors so much that I remember spending, like, I, I spent a great deal of time up until the end of Mr. Pandaria, just writing articles that were essentially Colossus Smash has got to go because it's destroying the Fury rotation. It, it has to go. And when they changed it to not be what it was before, I was like, yes, that's. And so, yeah, I, I totally agree with you that that could that I can see why that you would feel that way. Uh, yeah, that's just I just wanted to say that. I Yeah, Paladins had it rough. I mean, I, I actually quit the game for a while in, in uh, Cataclysm. I was like, OK, this has changed so much i don't know what i'm doing i don't know why i have this character i don't know what this character is anymore and it just it it killed off a lot of the fun so i you know i took a break until this and but yeah looking back and being more familiar with the class as it is now which is still has a lot of similarities um yeah cataclysm had a lot of great storytelling and the old world in particular had a lot of great new stories that a lot of us didn't experience at the time because we were already max level and yeah. continued instead of going back. All right. Um, I think that's pretty much it, though. Uh, Joe? Yeah, I don't have anything else to add. If you want me to do the outro or if there's anything else yeah. you want to say for final thoughts, let it let it fly now. That'll go, that'll go after. Go do, do the thing. <laughs> we, we tell people to, what they can do. That's fair. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, since he gave me the idea of the final thoughts thing that we do over on Lore Watch, I think it is a good thing to bring over here now that we've got three people again. Um so I'm going to ask you to, and we're going to start with Liz. If they decided to do the alternate expansion track idea, where they instead of doing, say, Wrath of the Lich King, they did another expansion instead of Burning Crusade after Burning Crusade Classic, what would you want it to be about? Oh my gosh, you're asking me really hard questions here. But there are just so many options. There are so many different directions we could go off. And there, are, what if you had like Burning Crusade? you go from that straight into like warlords of Draenor experience and you go into the, you go from our Draenor, the modern Draenor and outland. And then you went into like this alternate universe and you did that very quickly and you tied into this, that would be a really different experience putting something like that back to back. But there's just so much out there. We could have gone from burning crusade into something that explored uh, demons more and explored Oh, what am I? What's the word I'm going for? The place the demon souls go where they don't. What's the word? Mardoon or the fell? The twisting nether. Twisting nether, no. like kind of explore the origins of these of these demons and how all of this came to be, which we're kind of starting to get into now in Shadowlands. But there are all kinds of threads you could pull that would have been a good tie into Burning Crusade. Okay, Joe. Yeah, and I think Burning Crusade was really, I, I agree with Liz, is one of those points where, like, the game could have gone anywhere. And oh, there, yeah. it, there was so much possibility, and we went from that to the Wrath of the Lich King, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it wasn't the only option that they had available to them. 
We could have done more stuff with the Ethereals and learned more about Koresh. Uh, we could have done more stuff with the Elves right then and there. Um, we did so much with the Trolls at that point. Why not do some stuff with the Elves early on? Um, we could have explored more of the Naga, which we really didn't do a whole lot with until Cataclysm, honestly. Like, they were there. They were they were always a threat, but it wasn't something that was fully explored, I mean, technically into Legion, or uh, Battle for Azeroth, excuse me. Yeah. Um, and even then, like, it was just little bits and pieces throughout that point. I mean, going after Queen Azara would have been a really interesting direction to go. Like, yeah, we cleaned up Outland. We got all these allies back now. We can go back and clean things up. Man, these Naga are really annoying. Man, you know what? That's right. We forgot about Queen Ajar. She's right in our backyard. Like, <laughs> literally, we have a major city that butts up against a place, which is kind of a base of her power. Why don't we go deal with this? Uh, and that would have been interesting, too, instead of waiting until, you know, however many years, a decade later, to even consider going after her or dealing with her. And how would that have changed things? And I think I would have liked to have seen more of that because, again, I just I'm I'm a stand for uh, uh, Queen Ajara. I think she's one of the best villains I've ever had. And I would have liked more of her from the very, very beginning, especially coming off of Burning Crusade, where you had all the stuff with Vosh and being sent to go help Illidan. That would have been great. OK, cool. Uh, for me, it would have been the Emerald Dream. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. They were working on an Emerald Dream expansion and then they just didn't do it. And I've always wondered why. I've always wanted to know what, what it could have been. I think in a lot of ways, the Emerald Dream is going to end up being a lot like the opposite of the Shadowlands, where it's like a place of life where we're going to go to multiple different realms within it and you know so forth. But I would have liked to have seen the version we would have got if they'd made it in 2009, 2010. But that's the show, guys. Uh, thank you very much for being here with us as we do the Blizzard Watch thing. Um, we're going to be back next week, and so we hope you're here with us. Bye, everybody. You guys should say bye, too. Bye. Bye.